0: Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. It's a Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Welcome to the show. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. The Neil Levec. World tour continued uh, this past week. And uh, back from Barbados is the uh, executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College, the aforementioned Neil Levesque. Neil, good morning to you.
1: Good morning. Did I miss any bad weather maybe on Saturday? Uh, I, I can't remember I it. If it was,
0: I don't remember it. <laughs> I, I try to block it out. But you were in Barbados where it was like 80, and and we were here in certain points of the state. Well, obviously Mount Washington, like what 100, 150 below or whatever it was, and uh, but even uh, you know in the in the state itself. I, I mean, I was in uh, Henniker on uh, Saturday and uh, it was like uh, minus minus 15. Well, so, so I,
1: I I
0: mean when I. Flew back. I had to go to the bus station because I take the Concord
1: coach like everybody else, and uh, I was just happy my car started. You know.
0: Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad it did, and I'm glad you could be with us uh, today after a hiatus in Barbados. And uh, Neil, I guess uh, uh, you've probably heard the news by now that on uh, on Saturday the Democratic Party approved the reordering of its uh, 2024 presidential primary, uh, replacing Iowa and New Hampshire with South Carolina in the leadoff spot now. What is uh, what's your reaction?
1: Well, my reaction is pretty strong, actually. I think that, uh, A, we're going to go first, uh, no matter what these party bosses in Washington say, we that we're not subject to Democratic Party rules. We're having a state election, and we're going to do it as our state law says. So that being said, we're going to continue to be first. But I think it's very transparent, and I think it's bad. I think it's bad for Democrats especially. So what, the, what these party bosses are trying to do is they're trying to rig the election. That's right, the word rig. We've heard a lot of the words rigging in elections lately, but that's exactly what they're doing. And they're putting it under this word diversity, which is bunk. It's not about diversity. North Carolina is more diverse than South Carolina. Hawaii is the most diverse state in the nation. The reason they're picking South Carolina is it's a party boss state. If you get the endorsement of a guy named Jim Clyburn, you will win that state. And guess what? Guess who has the endorsement? You guessed it. President Biden. And he's already said, Clyburn's already said, if if Biden doesn't run, he's going to endorse Harris. So it's just one party boss. You go in, you have a big fundraiser for the party boss. You raise him a bunch of money. He endorses, you win the primary. And what the Democrats haven't said, they said, oh, we're going to be, New Hampshire will be second. Only if you do the series of things, which is basically impossible. And we're not going to do it. So they're going to move us even further down the counter. Guess who they're going to move up? You guessed it. The real tough state for Joe Biden. Delaware. So they're going to have the president's home state. Now, the reason why, it's pretty simple. My, my mother, who's 82, said, listen, Neil, people giving up power in Washington, D.C. is akin to me giving up my car keys. It's the same thing. And they're going to go and try to rig the election and do it in a way that best advantages the current incumbent candidate, who's 80 years old right now, who can't even speak into a teleprompter, you know, at this point, and is a troubled, weakened candidate. And that is bad for Democrats, because Democrats need to put forward the strongest candidate they possibly can if they're going to defeat the Republican in November. And this plan takes that away. So, yes, I have strong opinion. I think it's also bad for progressives. So if you're a progressive Democrat... Good luck ever having a progressive candidate nominated in a calendar like this. And also, if you have candidates such as Pete Buttigieg, a gay candidate, um, and the constituency, lesbian, gay, bisexual uh, constituency in the Democratic Party is huge. And the fact is, is that that constituency is being marginalized even further. South Carolina is not a gay-friendly state. They passed laws as recently as 2008 to take away the civil rights of gay people. They've never taken those laws off the books. Never. They had to have a court strike it down. They've never taken it off. It is not a friendly state to a lot of the constituencies uh, around the Democratic Party. So, yes, uh, if you've heard me on this show before, I'm much more bipartisan, but not in this case. I think it's really bad for democracy, and I think it's bad for Democrats.
0: Well, Neil, I love to see you fired up. I, I really do, and uh, you obviously have strong views on this, which uh, many of us here in the Granite State share with you. Uh, one of the one of the strange parts is that South Carolina uh, hasn't backed a Democrat in a presidential race since 1976.
1: Absolutely, and they're not. This isn't about. This isn't about that. It's right. about we we need to have a path forward. For an 80-year-old weak candidate who's having trouble even going before a teleprompter to get through primaries. Because at this point, if Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, flies into New Hampshire, starts campaigning, it's going to be trouble. But the point is, is that maybe a candidate so weak shouldn't lead the Democrats in 2024. And three-quarters of the Democrats here in New Hampshire, three-quarters, do not think that Biden should run for re-election. But the party bosses do. And remember, there's a lot of favors at that level. You know? Hey, you, you switch this calendar up for us the best way possible. You know, maybe you'll be the ambassador to Barbados. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the point is, is that there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but diversity... Diversity is a very important subject and it's very important for our country going forward that we have real diversity in all aspects of our life and it's really serious and to cloud and to basically cloak this grab for power and rigging of an election around a very important subject is not only disingenuous it's actually sinister and I think it's terrible and so if we if we could go first and if you're a Democrat out there and you're going to vote in the New Hampshire presidential primary, keep in mind that they're not going to count your ballot. That's right. Post-2020, Democrats are not going to count New Hampshire Democrats' ballots. Now, that's an amazing thing
0: when you put it all in perspective. Wow. that That is uh, something to, to bear in mind. So you say 75% of Democrats in this state do not want Joe Biden to run for re-election. And I think it's like at least over 60% nationwide. Yeah, so what does that tell you? That tells you that Democrats don't think that he's
1: the strongest candidate and the best candidate to lead the country up against, really, you know, there's a pretty good slate of Republicans emerging, and they're going to be strong. And... So Democrats don't think. So what do they do? They insulate it by having this type of an election
0: and rigging the election. Um,
1: That's what this is all about. That's what it's about.
0: And and And, rigging is a strong term, but that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. Rigging is a strong... If I had a stronger term, I'd use
0: it. (laughs) But this is a family show, Neil. It's a family (laughs) show. I have to bear that in mind. And, And then interestingly enough, Uh, look who's going to be announcing uh, her candidacy pretty soon from the Republican side is South Carolina's former governor, Nikki Haley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so she's going to be competing here. Um, We're seeing already a lot of activity at the Republican state party. There was some uh, two booths to write in uh, DeSantis. So there'll be some Potential candidacy from him, I, I can't imagine that he wouldn't run for president at this point. I think he's hes going to have some issues with another Floridian. However, I, I think he'll have other people um, like like our own Governor Sununu. He may get into it as well. So you may see a pretty crowded field.
0: Uh, no doubt about it. Neil, can you stay with us for a couple of minutes? Yep. We have to take a yep. quick break. Neil Levesque is with us, and he's fired up just back from Barbados, he is charged up and uh, expressing some strong opinions this morning on Cale uh, & Company Live. Neil, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. I think the entire state is fired up by uh, the potential loss of the first-in-the-nation primary. But we're going to stick to our state law and be number one in the country whatever no matter what the DNC says we'll take a break kale and company live continues on wkxl nhtalkradio.com presented by northeast delta dental Kale & Company live here on WKXL. Great to have you with us on this Monday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Neil Levesque is with us. The executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. And uh, in our earlier segment, in case you missed it, uh, Neil is uh, accusing, as many of us are, uh, the, uh, the DNC of trying to rig the primary. And uh, he said it in no uncertain terms, and, uh, and and so Neil, the schedule is South Carolina's primary uh, is going to be held on Saturday, uh, February the third of next year. Followed three days later, as the schedule stands so far, uh, by New Hampshire and Nevada, which by the way is changing from a caucus state to a uh, a primary state uh, next time around. But Neil, you contend that New Hampshire will hold its primary at least several days before South Carolina.
1: Absolutely. So we have a state law that says that, and we're not going to be told what to do by a political party that's basically rigging it for one candidate. How fair is that? Let's say that you want to run for president and you're a Democrat. Yeah. Let's say you want to do it. Are you going to go along with this too? That's ridiculous. It's the incumbent protection uh, calendar is what that is. And by the way, you know, Las Vegas, I guess it's an okay place to visit, but labor unions are what's the key to that primary. Uh, if you get the labor unions that control the casinos, um, you're basically going to win that primary. So we're, talk- we're not talking about Democrats saying we want democracy. We're talking about Democrats saying we want to make this, you know, as, as rich for us who raises the most money? Who's going to make the most deals for the labor union uh, in order to win? <clears throat> so the whole thing is cooked. And by the way, we're not going to be second on their books because they've basically said that, are you ready for this, that our Republican governor must advocate for a series of things, including us getting rid of our, our, our state law on the primary, our Republican governor. I mean, I'm I'm, I mean, we're more more likely to, you know, to get Sununu to to greet almost anything else other than that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And they know it's ridiculous. It's a poison pill. They know it. That's why they put it in there. It is disingenuous. And I think this White House and this president says things that are very disingenuous since the start of his his administration. And we're going to see more of it tomorrow night for the State of the Union. Which, by the way, I'm, at this point, why bother watching? I think it's a bunch of bunk.
0: Yeah. And
1: and he probably isn't going to say anything that is honest and truthful.
0: Do you think there's a chance that uh, Kevin McCarthy might uh, uh, rip up uh, his his copy of the speech after it's all over, <laughs> like like a previous speaker of the House did with Donald Trump?
1: Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've seen this kind of stuff, but. The truth is, is everybody in Washington knows what the State of the Union is. They do a poll. They find out 15 top things that everybody wants. It's like a grocery list. They throw it in the grocery bag. They create a speech, which he'll read probably once beforehand. It goes on a teleprompter, and he reads it off the thing. There's a whole bunch of clapping. None of it gets enacted into law, because it's all just pie in the sky, and it's meant basically to say, I'm i I actually want apple pie and, and vanilla ice cream too, you know, and it's a, it's a thing. I think that this president had an opportunity when he was elected being the alternative to president Trump to be above partisan politics. He didn't need to do it. And instead from day one, it's been what can keep him in power and what advances his partisan agenda.
0: And, and I must say, folks, Neil has never been a fan of the State of the Union address. I mean, this is nothing new. You, you've never been a fan of it, really.
1: I think if you did a poll with the five hundred and thirty five members of Congress and said, "Who is a fan of the State of the Union?" <laughs> they'd all be in the same camp as me. It's, yeah. it's just a it's a baloney speech. And it gets a lot of hype. There's all kinds of, you know, ceremony around it, things like that. And people bring guests and things like that. But the truth is, is that it really, it's like a strategic plan that's never going to happen. I mean, I think many of us might have sat in these strategic planning meetings where you say, yeah, we're just never going to do that. And I think that the State of the Union is a lot like that.
0: So, Neil, how tone deaf uh, must the DNC be? I mean, knowing full well. I mean, they can see the polls probably follow them a lot more closely than most people. But, I mean, if 75 percent of the countries, Democrats we're talking about, don't want to see Biden run again. And uh, at least, uh, you know, 75 uh, percent in New Hampshire, 75 percent of the Democrats, 60, at least 60 percent nationwide. Why are they rigging this knowing that our our very own all-Democrat congressional delegation is, is also opposed to it.
1: I don't think they're tone-deaf at all. I actually think that they're quite tuned in to what the White House wants, what Joe Biden wants, Yeah. and if they vote for this plan, what do they get? Well, you know, maybe we're having a state dinner, and you're going to come to that. Or, you know, you wanted an ambassadorship to here. Or, uh, you know, your friend is doing this, and you, you, you need a meeting in the uh, West Wing. These are all the things that are traded in Washington, D.C., and these people are power brokers. That's what they do. And I don't blame them. They want to do what the White House says so they can curry favor, but they certainly are short, uh, short-sighted. And I think that some of the people that have been leading this effort are pretty tied into to Camilla Harris. Now, I'm going to say something about Harris, which is she doesn't like the New Hampshire primary because— There's a lot of people that are white in New Hampshire, apparently, and that is not favorable to her. And that's really sad because Barack Obama got plenty of votes from people in New Hampshire. The point is, is that the reason she failed as a candidate is she gave up and she ran a terrible campaign with a terrible campaign operation. And if you look in past presidencies and see who the winners are, candidates always find tough hurdles that they have to overcome. Look at Bill Clinton. I mean, he was just covered in scandal and overcame it to become president of the United States. A lot of these folks, Nixon, just overcame so many different obstacles. Reagan ran three times. The point is, is that you can't just throw in the towel like she did. She's a terrible candidate because of it. And her numbers are even worse than Biden's. So she's got problems, too, if Biden doesn't run and she ends up carrying the mantle of the Democratic Party. Uh, You know, if you're a Democrat, you've got to really be concerned about this stuff.
0: Well, you know, there is, you know, been some talk, obviously, and you you mentioned it. Gavin Newsom, the uh, uh, governor of California, has, you know, uh, hinted at, at, at his aspiration for becoming president of the United States. So let's say he comes new hampshire we do hold the the first in the nation primary in late january uh and uh so you're saying that the democratic votes will not be counted i mean there's no chance that anybody else could get a you know delegates from new hampshire
1: well they won't be counted at the at the party convention
0: at the end of the summer yeah
1: but they certainly be counted on primary night right and gavin newsom or whoever challenges the president wins we've seen this before harry truman 1952, it was questionable as to whether or not he was going to run again. And a no-name senator named S.S. Kefauver said, well, I'm going to run in New Hampshire. He beat Truman. What happened to Truman? Truman says, well, I better not run now. We've seen this before. Uh, we've seen it in 68. Um, so the point is that it's vi- these people are extremely ambitious at that level. You want to be president of the United States? You're a very ambitious person. So don't think for a second that somebody says, well, you know, Joe Biden, he's the current president. I'm not going to challenge him. If they think that there's an opening to win and create an alternative candidate that that can face the Republicans successfully, there's somebody who's going to do it.
0: Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how how it all plays out. And, uh, you know, we we could have, uh, you know, we're going to have the first primary in the the country. There's no doubt about it. Right, Neil? You can assure us. We are. We are. Okay. Well, I I will take your your word for it. You're always accurate about these things. And you know the the inner workings. And uh, we will still be first in the nation. And, Neil, do you have any more time for us today? Sure. Oh, all right. Well, then hang in there because we have to take a quick break here. And we have uh, a number of other things that uh, I, I would like to discuss and, uh, you know, find out more about Barbados. But uh, we'll take a quick break. Neil Levesque is with us. He is the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. And he came out firing today. I love it. I love it because I think he reflects uh, the opinions of uh, most of us uh, here in the Granite State including the congressional delegation all democrats we'll take a break kale and company continues right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com presented by northeast delta dental Kale & Company live here on WKXL, NHtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Neil Levesque is with us. He is the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. And Neil has assured us that regardless of what took place over the weekend, New Hampshire will still be first in the nation as far as the presidential primary uh, next year uh, is concerned. And that primary... Uh, will be taking place in less than a year from now. And uh, you would have to think there's going to be a host of Republican uh, candidates. We're not sure about the Democratic side. Now, is there a chance, Neil, that, that Joe Biden won't uh, even uh, register, sign up for the uh, New Hampshire primary? Oh,
1: I think that's a definite chance. I think that he will refuse to compete here. And then then he can say, which is kind of what Harry Truman did, which is then he can say, well, I wasn't on the ballot at the last minute He, Truman got on the ballot. <clears throat> then, he can, then if somebody comes in, he can say, well, you know, I didn't compete there, and therefore, uh, you know, uh, I didn't lose. Well, the point is, is that if you're the president of the United States, sitting incumbent president of the United States, you're competing everywhere whether you like it or not. And if his name isn't on the ballot and somebody else gets 75% of the vote, that is trouble for the administration, and in doing what they're doing, they're showing weakness, right? If I if I say to you, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play hockey, you know, at the Everett Arena. I'll only play at my own arena." Well, you know, aren't you saying that you're you're weak? And by saying that he's not going to compete here because he wants to go to the party bus state of South Carolina, he's showing that he's weak there was this entire rigging of the election is a demonstration of the fact that he's weak and these other potential presidents on the democratic side know that. And I will predict that there's going to be some big name Democrats coming into this state soon. That's going to really uh, change the outlook for
0: 2024. Mm. Well, and uh, you would know, you would know, because you're one of the first guys that does know. Maybe the first. Who knows who is coming in? Uh, who's coming in from the Republican side? We know that Nikki Haley has to be making an appearance pretty soon.
1: Well, I understand that she's coming in. Um, in a couple weeks, I don't know exactly where she's going yet. Um, the this, this second pearl, obviously... Former President Trump, who's a candidate,
0: yep, was he's here, here. Yep.
1: two weeks ago because of the, or I guess a week ago because of the, uh, that's Barbados time, uh, because of the, the uh, state party election, he was here. Um, and I think that you'll see others too. I think last year during the midterm elections, we saw, we got a little flavor for some of these candidates that might run who kind of came in because they were, quote unquote, going to help the Senate
0: candidate or,
1: or congressional candidate. And I think some of those may emerge as well, and some may not. So you may find that some of these big names that get floated about as potential candidates don't, you know, they can't raise the money or they can't do whatever needs to get done, and they don't end up
0: actually running.
1: Or they come out with a book, and then they don't actually run. So I have to read all the books, by the way.
0: You have to read all the books. Have you read uh, Mike Pence's? I have. Yeah. And, uh...
1: I I read them all. We had Mike Pence in. Um, There's another potential candidate that that doesn't shy away at all from New Hampshire. He's not afraid of the voters of New Hampshire, unlike the incumbent president. And I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be sort of awkward. You have Nikki Haley, an ambassador under Trump. You have Trump. You have the person who really became Florida governor sort of being trump light, DeSantis. Then you have people in the administration like maybe Chris Christie, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously the vice president. So when they're all on the debate stage, it could get to the point where somebody says, well, we passed this in my administration. And they all say, yes, I was a part of that too. I was a part of that. I, I'm responsible for that, not you, you know. It's, it's so... Um, it's kind of incestuous in the fact that all of these candidates are running, really, that were part of the previous administration. Yeah. Um, I think the exception, by the way, is interesting that um, our own governor, if he runs, he, he was not part of the Trump administration. No. So he, he has a clearly defined um, difference from some of these other candidates, and, and you know, elections are all about that.
0: And oftentimes quite critical of our, our former president as well.
1: Yes, and you know, I I just say this that Sununu certainly was critical of the Trump uh, presidency when he thought something wasn't going right or or something was wrong, January sixth, for example. But he didn't do it just for sport, meaning he didn't just automatically take the other side from whatever Trump was doing just because he wanted to criticize the administration. He said what he believed and and complimented the, the former administration when the time was right, right. and mm-hmm. criticized it. So he's a kind of a different candidate than maybe some of these other people who are still put into this anti-Trump column.
0: So if you were to, uh, you know, uh, do this percentage wise right now, what, what percent, uh, of a chance is there that uh, Governor Sununu will run for president of the United States?
1: That's hard to say. I, I mean, I, I take him at his word that he's looking at all these things, and a lot of this is, you know, are there donors across the country and things? So what would I say, maybe a 50-50 or better? I think that um, he he's a different kind of candidate, and I think that he doesn't do things just for power and for... Uh, you know, the, the, the celebrity of it all. I think that he genuinely thinks, could I win this? And could I do the job? Which is something a lot of people don't necessarily say, you know. Can you throw political arrows at your opponent? Yes. But are you going to be able to make good decisions as president of the United States for the entire country? That's a different thing. So I think it's interesting that he's looking at that. And that would be refreshing, because frankly, you got to do that kind of thing in that job.
0: I, I think if you, uh, you know, I, I, when I think of his his candidacy, which which you know, I, I as you know an outsider and just uh, you know an observer, I think it's going to happen. But you know, I put him in kind of the same class as I would, you know, a uh, uh, Bill Clinton or Jimmy Carter when they ran. I mean, in, in fact, he's probably nationally better known than uh, those two candidates who, who were both successful in, in winning the Oval Office. Well, I. Uh-
1: I I hope he's not listening when I make a comparison to Bill Clinton and the fact that Bill Clinton was very, very smart and is a very smart person. So although he could go and eat Big Macs at McDonald's, he also knew intricate details of almost every policy and position and uh, public policy issue that was out there. And could articulate it in a way that regular people sort of understood it. And I think if there's a similarity with a candidate with Sununu, I think that that's probably it. And the fact that if you're around him, you quickly figure out this, this guy is really smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't go to MIT because he you know, couldn't get into the school that I was at. But, <laughs> um, but the point is, is that he's very smart. He knows a lot of details about a lot of um, legislation and policy and how things affect regular people. And he's able to articulate, I think he's probably one of the best communicators uh, in the 2024 field by far, by far. Probably one of the best Republican communicators in the nation. And that's a big contrast to Biden, right? So Biden has to have the teleprompters. He's screwing it up. He's calling the secretary of state, you know, the defense minister, which we don't have, um, you know, all these different things. And Sununu gets up there, and he'll do his state of the state uh, without a note. Yeah. You know, and. And there's no
0: scandal. There's no scandal like there was with Bill Clinton.
1: There's no scandal. He's definitely a family man. Um, And he's very real, you know. Behind the scenes, I I do get to spend a lot of time with him behind the scenes. He is very uh, genuine and real. Uh, I remember when I had COVID early on. I got COVID early on. I got it in June of
0: whatever year that
1: term. I remember
0: that well. In fact, yep. I think you were the first person I actually knew that, that had it.
1: And that was what was happening. I was the first person anyone knew who had COVID, and I was locked on this green porch for two weeks, and no one wanted to go near me, including my wife. Everybody was afraid I had the plague, you know, the whole thing. Well, you know, to know was calling me and how are you doing tell me what it's like you know he was very inquisitive about it but he's that kind of person and people have his cell phone um and they they communicate with him and and he's a very genuine person
0: well, it's going to be very interesting, and it's uh, certainly going to be interesting at the uh, New Hampshire Institute of Politics at Saint Anselm College over the next year. Or, you know, they, they, it's it's already started. I mean, let's the primary season is underway. We will be first in the nation, no matter what the DNC says. And uh, any anybody showing up in the near future at uh, at the institute?
1: Well, I've got some things that I'm going to announce here shortly, and they're going to be big names.
0: Big names, folks. Big names. There you go. You heard it from the executive director, Neil Levesque. Neil, I really appreciate uh, all the time you were able to spend today, as we always appreciate him.
1: Thank you, Ken. Have a great day.
0: All right. You as well. Neil Levesque, executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. And uh, he was in rare form today. Great conversation with Neil. Coming up next... We're going to change gears here and uh, talk a little Hockey East with our good friend John Lee. Right here, Kale & Company Live, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. It is Kale & Company Live here on WKXL nhtalkradio.com, a delight to have you along with us today. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and it is always a delight on a Monday morning to check in with our good friend and a longtime voice of the Merrimack College Warriors hockey team, John Leahy. John, welcome back. Great to have you with us.
2: Ken, thanks so much. It's always great uh, to be with you, and uh, I'm just glad it's not uh, negative 15 like it was on uh, Friday night.
0: Ah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Big temperature swing. It's going to be near 50 today in some places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like Mark Twain uh, once said, you know, if you don't like the weather in New England, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it might have taken a couple of days. But John is with us, and... uh, John, I know you and uh, your your friend and colleague Pete Webster had a very exciting game to call on a Friday night uh, at the Whittemore Center. Yeah, it was great. Uh,
2: Merrimack and UNH uh, played uh, a real battle, uh, a, a game in which saw the uh, Wildcats jump out to a 2 nothing lead in the first period, and, and Merrimack was able to uh, bounce back and tie the game in regulation, but only to see UNH win it in overtime, so uh, nice win for the Wildcats, and uh, Merrimack continues to struggle. But, uh, yeah, you're right, Ken. Uh, Pete and I had a great game to call, and uh, it really was a blast uh, being at the Whittemore Center again and, ha- and having a chance to call a great game.
0: No no doubt about that. Always uh, a nail-biter, usually a nail-biter between these two teams. I remember a blowout earlier this season at Merrimack, and uh, I think the, the Wildcats were looking for a, uh, a measure of revenge on, on Friday night, and, and they got it. Yeah, they
2: sure did. And that game back in October feels like it was four years ago. Doesn't it? Uh, Doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, certainly, you know, the two teams have gone complete, undergone complete transformation still then, although UNH uh, struggled mightily in the first half. They're, they're playing a lot better hockey. They had a great weekend and uh, they won both of their games, picking up uh, five out of six points. Uh, meanwhile... Yeah, Merrimack, who lost again in overtime up in Maine yesterday, so uh, the Warriors have lost three consecutive overtime games, and uh, they do uh, remain in third place. But uh, Ken, they're just two eight and one in their last eleven, which is concerning. This is the time of year you want to be playing your best hockey, and it's not uh, showing up for the Warriors right now.
0: Uh, on the other hand, UH UNH is is turning things around as they came up with a, another big victory. Following the overtime victory on Friday, they went down to Lowell uh, on Saturday and beat a uh, very good uh, UMass Lowell team.
2: Yeah, they sure did. They won 5-4, to four, uh, a back-and-forth seesaw affair. Uh, the Riverhawks are very difficult to beat in that building, so uh, Mike Souza should be uh, uh, very pleased with how things worked out. Uh, as I mentioned, the Wildcats are playing better, Ken. They've won six of their last ten, and they're yeah. making a— late-season playoff push as uh, uh, they look to uh, overtake the UMass Minutemen. Uh, UNH is just one point behind UMass, so uh, Wildcats have two big games this weekend against UConn, a team that has been consistently good all season, uh, two games at the Whittemore Center. So uh, the way the Wildcats are playing, Ken, uh, I could see them definitely coming away with points this weekend.
0: Yeah, Against the uh, UConn Huskies, who at one time were top the standings, but uh, now have... Uh, fallen seven points in back of uh, boston university
2: yeah uh uconn's still a very solid team and uh i, I think the huskies will will certainly uh, be a strong contender for home ice in the first round um uconn is just two points behind merrimack and uh, four points behind northeastern bu is the team to watch though ken yeah. because uh they've won seven in a row and they've won nine out of ten and of course, the terriers will take the ice tonight in oh, the Beanpot.
0: Oh yeah, uh, big night, big night yeah. at the TD Garden this evening and and it's, next week as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you got two great
2: games. Uh, Harvard and BC will kick it off at five o'clock, and then you're going to have BU and Northeastern, which should be an incredible hockey game uh, at eight o'clock. I'll tell you, Ken. Harvard has a legitimate chance uh, to uh, win the Beanpot this year. The Crimson are having a, a great season, and uh, you know BC's had kind of an up and down affair. The Eagles are. Uh, one game below 500 but uh you're gonna have two tremendous games at the garden tonight i'm fortunate to be able to go tonight and uh, next monday so uh Nesson will have the action tonight at five and eight o'clock as we open up the historic beanpot
0: tonight but uh, you will be on hand it's a great atmosphere place will be jammed the bands will be there and uh it's a, it's a it's a great event it, it really and truly is you know I, I thought you know maybe you know when they moved to the uh, as it, you know, the Fleet Center at the time transitioning from the old Garden that uh, it would lose some of the atmosphere but that's not the case it, it's still uh, two great nights of hockey tonight and next Monday and you know John it was years ago when was it 1978 the blizzard of 78 yeah I, I remember yeah. they that was the night of the bean pot right right and a lot of people were stuck they had to stay over at the uh, at the old uh, Boston garden with all the rats but uh, <laughs> but, but a <laughs> king rat was there and all his friends but yet uh, many people just stayed right there after the two games were completed because there was just their public transportation was not available their cars were snowed in it was terrible conditions outside and they just stayed there for the night and I don't know how much longer but, uh, that was one of the classic Bean Pots, I guess, and uh, I, I wasn't there on that occasion. But I have been to a couple of Bean Pots, and uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Just a great two nights of hockey, and if you've never experienced it, and if you uh, just enjoy the game of hockey, uh, it's uh, it's a great a great two nights. And as you say, with four terrific teams: Harvard, B C, B U, and Northeastern. And you mentioned Harvard, uh, Ted Donato has had himself uh, quite a season, as you pointed out, a former Manchester monarch, by the way. Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, uh, Harvard is uh, in a little bit of a drought in terms of uh, winning the Beanpot Championship, but uh, the Crimson just they just seem like they improve on a yearly basis, and uh, Harvard's going to give BC a run for their money tonight, and uh, wouldn't surprise me if the Crimson uh, advanced. but can you talk about, Pat, that, that blizzard of 78 with the Beanpot, there's still a video clip of Jack Parker being interviewed by Channel Four, and uh, the BU was wondering how they were going to get home. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and they were just down the street. Yeah. yeah, they're just down the street, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, the, the the buses had a difficult time, of course, navigating uh, those wintry roads. And uh, of course, Jack Parker was about in his mid 30s back when that uh, beanpot. Uh, happened in 1978, so uh, I mean the tournament. The tournament is just filled with great history, and, and there will not be an empty seat in the Garden tonight. I can no. promise you that, or no. next Monday for that matter.
0: No, that that is for sure, and uh, it is a it a terrific event. If you're a hockey fan and have never experienced the Beanpot, well, I would uh, do whatever I could could to get a ticket uh, either tonight or for next Monday as well. It's just two terrific nights of hockey, and and Mr. Leahy will be here or be there, I should say. But he will be here on Wednesday night, I hope, right? Yes. All right. Yes, uh,
2: I will be at Area 23 on Wednesday night. Um, In fact, I just put a song up in the uh, Facebook group for Area 23 for Wednesday night to promote the event. All right. And so uh, we'll do the final rehearsals tomorrow in the Leahy Musical Dungeon, and we will be ready for Wednesday night. I can't wait to get up there and... uh, And perform and entertain is going to be a terrific, terrific time.
0: As only you can. You whip that crowd into a frenzy at the area, and uh, and people love it. Because, you know why, folks? Because you can sing along to virtually (laughs) every song that John performs, which is different than some of the performers there. But John has a a great, I mean, the, the great part is the diversity of the music that you hear on an open mic night. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, really, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of the performers are terrific performers, but uh, some, of, some of the genres I, I don't quite understand, but, you know, you can understand every single word that John Leahy sings, so uh, be there on Wednesday night, it's going to be a lot of fun, chance to... Uh, Compare notes with John Leahy. If you show up, it'll be a great time. Talk about the bean pot, Talk about uh, Hockey East, whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, and uh, baseball season's coming up. And who knows what else? Or just talk about music with John. Uh, he'll be there for the open mic night on, uh, on Wednesday. And uh, looking forward to that. John as always thanks for uh, joining us this morning. We appreciate it and uh, you have a wonderful night at the uh, TD garden this evening and uh, we will uh, see you on Wednesday. Ken thanks
2: very much. I appreciate it and one last note the women's bean pot will take place tomorrow as well over at BC
0: so you'll want to check that out as well. At BC okay very yes. good. All right John thanks so much and uh, have a have a great night. Thank you Ken appreciate it. All right. Hey, we had a fun show today. Neil Levesque was on fire. John Leahy's fired up about the bean pot tonight and he'll be in town on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, great show. Uh, we, we just you know sometimes need another another hour like today. Uh, but at any rate, thanks for listening. If you missed any of it, shame on you. but you can hear it right after seven o'clock tonight here on WKXL or streaming around the world around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by our good friends at Northeast Delta Dental. We will see you tomorrow right after the 8 o'clock news here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com.